Welcome to The Rock Church, a vibrant, enthusiastic, edgy church meeting in West Bridgeford, Nottingham. You can find out more about us by visiting the-rock.org.uk. We hope you were blessed by this message. Awesome stuff. So, we've had a laugh this morning. We've worshipped the King of Kings, and now we're ready to, uh, to hear the Word of God. Now, remember what Kate was preaching about last week? It was whatever we don't maintain deteriorates. So she's going to be sharing something massively powerful today about relationships, not only with our friends and family, but with ourselves and also God as well. So let's give it up for our pastor, the woman of the house, Kate Kemp. Thank you, Si. Morning, everybody. Morning online. I read this in my Bible this morning from Romans 14, 17. It says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter. I put something in in my own writing and I can't read my own writing. Everybody tells me my writing's bad and I've just proven the point. I'll just read the scripture. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Interesting that last week I talked about the body and what we put in it. That's the food and drink bit. And today I'm talking about relationships. And that last little bit says, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. I love life and I love doing life. And I love this man passionately. No, I wasn't going to Joss, but I do love Joss. I love this man, Passion. I love I get to do life in all its fullness with him. And I love this woman of God and Kathy, because these are my confidants. This is who I turn to when we're praying and when we're seeking God and just wanting to go further and iron sharpens iron. And I love this man and his wife because we get to do belly laugh holidays. And I love Sos and Claire because they're like my spiritual daughters. And I love every single one of you because you are my family. You're very welcome, Steve. I love you. Because we were designed for a relationship. Genesis 1 tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It says, now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering. God wasn't alone in the beginning. If you turn to John in the New Testament, it says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word is Jesus. So right at the beginning, God was in relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. He was never on his own. And then he created Adam, and he could see that Adam was just wandering around in this beautiful paradise, but Adam was actually on his own, and he thought, well, that's not good. I've got Jesus and my mate, the Holy Spirit. Adam's got nobody down there, so I'm going to make him a helpmate. And he puts Eve on the planet because we were never meant to be alone. It is lonely. Relationships are so good for our well-being. It's a well-being series. So good for us. Some of you might disagree. Some of you say, actually, my health's more important than my relationships or my purpose or my job or my bank balance. But I'm here to tell you, relationship is everything. It's so important. So we're going on a whistle-stop tour today about the importance of maintaining all our relationships because what we don't maintain eventually deteriorates. Oh, they've got it already. Only week two. This is so good. We're going to touch on five areas. We're going to look at our relationship with God, with ourselves, with our families, 
with our church and with our community. So it's a real whistle-stop tour. And I want to say from the off that maintaining any relationship is way more important than starting one. Okay? So let's really quickly look at our relationship with God, and I'll tell you why it's quick in just a minute. This is by far the most important relationship you will ever have in your lifetime. God is more important than our spouses, than our kids, than our best friends, than our parents. Because if it wasn't for God, we wouldn't have any of them anyway. Everything we have comes from God. All our, all our relationships are from God. He is the most important person in our life. In response to the question, teacher, what is the first and greatest commandment? Jesus replied with this in Matthew 22. It says, love the eternal one, your God, with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. If we don't build a relationship with God and maintain that relationship with him, we won't have one. Does that mean that God decides to disappear? No, he doesn't. But there are promises attached to conditions. There are conditions and the Bible talks about in James 4, 8, if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. But if we don't, God won't draw near. We, there's something that we have to do first. We have to take that relationship and build that, have to take that step and build that relationship with God. And then he will come and meet us where we're at. I said just then that we were going to look at this in more detail. When we get to week six, that is the final week. That is when we're going to look at our spiritual life. That is when we're really going to dive into what our relationship with God should look like. So let's look at self. The first commandment is to love God. The second, as Jesus continued in Matthew 22, is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. To love others, we need to love ourselves. So two thought-provoking questions for us this morning. One, do you love yourself? And I know that this is a, a struggle for some of you. And that won't be your own fault. That's probably because of circumstances or because of what someone may have said to you or, or put over you in, in an earlier life. So do you love yourself? And secondly, should you love yourself? Some of you might remember Whitney Houston's number one hit song, The Greatest Love of All. Listen to these lyrics. You can sing along if you like. We'll have a bit of karaoke. Listen to this lyric. Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. It's not Bible, it's just Whitney. You can carry on, sir, if you want. <laughs> to love ourselves is to care for ourselves, it's to respect ourselves, and it's to have a sense of self-worth. William Temple, who served as the Archbishop of Canterbury in the 1900s, tells this story of two vandals who break into a shop in the middle of the night and they switch price tags. So they've got this fur coat that's worth £1,500 and they swap it with a jumper worth £150 and they swap the price tags over. And in the morning, they hide in the store and they watch as people come in and have a look at these price tags and just watch the faces of the unsuspecting shoppers. 
Every single one of us is a person of worth. We're children of God. And in our woke world, sorry, I'm not going to get political on you, but our world is allowing us to identify to whatever we want to identify as. And I was watching the BAFTAs the other night, and I was so pleased. There was a, a girl on there who's, um, I think it was, she was in the Black Panther, and she got up to receive her Oscar, and she started with this. I identify, and I'm thinking, here we go. I identify as a child of God. I thought, good on you, girl. In front of everybody, good on you. That is where our worth comes from. God. It's one of God's highest price tags is that we love one another and we love ourselves. And it sets the tone for every other relationship that we have. I just need to get something out of my purse. Giving away money again. He knows me so well. Many of you will have seen this analogy before, but this is a five pound note, yeah? You want to feel it? It's a real one. It's one of those new crispy ones that don't fold in your pocket, really annoying. It's awful when you count the offer and you can't bend them or anything. This is a five pound note. Now I can, I can crumple it. I could spit on it. I could drop it to the floor and I can crush it around a bit and it might rip and it might break and it might tear. But it's still a five pound note. It's still worth five pounds. And so are we. We can be ripped apart by the world. We can be trodden on, spat on, accused of stuff. But your intrinsic value comes from God, not from anybody else. So no matter what, any, I'll put it in my pocket. Anybody want it? <laughs> Val, was that you? There you go. Give me it back afterwards. <laughs> Jesus says, you are mine and I bought you with a price. And I tell you what, he bought us for more than a fiver, for sure. We need to see ourselves the way God does. That is a healthy self-image. God wants you to see yourself through his lens, not your own, and definitely not through anybody else's. I used to um, preach a little story that by Max Licardo, and it, just a stunning little, it's a children's, children's book, it's called You Are Special. And the premise of the book is that we are important to God, and that God never, ever makes mistakes. So you might look at yourself and feel a certain way or look a certain way, but God made you, and he is perfect, so you are perfect. That's where we get our worth from. In fact, this is what he thinks of us. Isaiah 61.10 says, I am filled with joy and my soul vibrates with exuberant hope because of the eternal my God, for he has dressed me with the garment of salvation, wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. It's as though I'm dressed for my wedding day in the very best, a bridegroom's garland and a bride's jewels. Please don't let anyone else define your worth. You are worthy because God says so. Don't look at the world. It will bring you down. Look to the Bible. Look to the truth. If the Bible says it, that settles it. Simple as we go by the truth of God's word. And it's right to love ourselves because self-love is the basis for how we get to love other people. Jesus commanded us to love others in the way that we love ourselves. The Apostle Paul understood that self-love was a given. And he said in Ephesians 5.29 that no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. As believers, caring for ourselves is the pattern for loving others. 
Last year, I had the privilege of going on more foreign holidays than I've ever been on, partly because we had a sabbatical and partly because we were on catch-up from COVID and a few holidays that have been cancelled, I finally got to take. And you'll all know that when you go on a plane, they, they do the announcements at the beginning, don't they? And the hostess stands there and she says, oh, that's the exit and, and there's the exit. And in the, in the uh, extreme um, case that the cabin air pressure might dip, their mask will come down and you, they do this, don't they? And it will put it over your face. But what they tell you is when that mask comes down, put it over your face first. Even if you've got children, don't worry about the children. If you haven't got yourself right, you won't, you'll be dead before you try to get the mask on your children. Look after yourselves first and then you can look after other people. Make sense? I know this is hard for some of you. I want to look at our relationships with our families as well. Back in 2016, some of you may remember, there was an amazing documentary on BBC Two called Back in Time for the Weekend. And they, they got this family and they put them back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s, I think, maybe in the 90s, can't remember. And in each decade, they would dress the house as it would have looked in that time, so with all the gadgets and things like that and the decoration on the walls. And they would put them in the clothing and if there were any kind of gadgets that they could have, they would have them. And it was just fascinating. And the mother in this show, she chose the 70s as her favourite era. And she said this, what I've taken away from this is that it's the time spent with people that is really important and making sure we don't let things like technology get in the way. I feel changed. We've done things together we never thought we'd do. We've done things as a family together which have been absolutely brilliant. Because in the 50s, 60s and 70s, families spent time together. They ate around the table together, they played games together, but from 2000 onwards, the average adult spent nine hours a day on technology. So you could be sat in the same room, but you're not interacting. Now they say that love is spelt T-I-M-E. And I just want to encourage those of you that have got kids that you spend as much time with them when they're young. Because they're not young long. And then they're gone. They fly the nest. So let us not be too busy for our kids. And you know what? If you're not a parent, you are a parent in this church. Because when people stand up here and dedicate their children, we all commit that we're going to help that family raise that child. So every single one of us is a parent in this place this morning. Too busy is a myth. We're never too busy for our kids. We make time for the things that are really important to us. Winston Churchill said, we shall fight on the beaches we shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We will fight in the hills and we will never surrender. Sounds just like some of our holidays with the kids. <laughs> but seriously, at the end of last year, I announced that 2022 had been the best year of my life. It was just one of those years. And I, I've just got more highlights than I think that I could ever put in 30 minutes in a, in a sermon. But absolutely nothing comes close to May the 29th when we got in a car with Kathy and our two kids who are grown up and we traveled down the M1 to Wembley you know where I'm going I can't talk about that day without crying I'm sorry it just gets me there you go there we are Caleb's got his tinny Chloe's got a cider that day has produced so many memories that we are still reminiscing about literally every week and you will all have times and holidays and things that you've done that you will 
remember with really fond memories. And that is so important. It's important that we put our time into our kids. I remember when my nan died and she blessed us with, I think, I think it was 10,000. And I'd said to the kids, when nan dies and we get some inheritance, we're going to New York. And I remember Ali saying, Flipping out, could have bought a car with that and we'd still have it today. Which is true. It is true. But you have to work out what is the better investment? What's the return? And we still talk about that trip. It made memories. It's so important that we make memories. Back in the day, we were involved with a charity called Nottingham Night Stop that was run out of the Christian Centre. And this is a charity that um, takes homeless kids off the streets just for one night. And we opened up our house and people would come and stay and we'd give them a bed, we'd give them a shower and we'd give them a meal. And we would sit around the table with them. And when our kids were young, we always sat around the table every night. And the first thing that we'll say is, what, what was the best thing about your day? And we just go around the room and, and listen to what each person's got to say. These kids that were homeless that were coming in, let me tell you, they have never, ever sat around a table. And that was the highlight, highlight of their time, just to be able to be in a family, in a unit, where people are interested in you, are, are bothering to take the time to find out. And it was just one of the most powerful things to be able to spend time with them. Treasure your relationship with your kids, not your possessions. Build memories, speak blessings over them. Have heart-to-hearts with them, not just superficial conversations. Spend time around the table. Tell them that you love them. Spending time with our kids is never, ever a wasted time. I can say that now because mine are growing up. Because <laughs> there were times that I didn't feel like that. But it is the truth. In fact, the best inheritance we can give our kids is our time and attention. It says, in a study of 500 counsellors, the number one top trait of successful families is communicating and listening. And both of those take time. Little story for you, on a hot summer day in South Florida, a little boy decided to go for a swim in a lake behind his house. As he swam towards the middle of the lake, an alligator was coming towards him from the shore and his mum could see from her kitchen window that the two were going to collide. So she ran out, fear, stressed, shouts at the top of her voice to tell her son to turn around to come back to the shore. And as he does a U-turn, he's swimming to her. It's too late. As he gets to the edge, she grabs hold of his arms, but the alligator grabs hold of his legs. And that began the most incredible tug of war between these two. Obviously, the alligator was stronger than the mother, but she was way too passionate to let go. And then a farmer was driving by, and he heard the screams, and he got out of his van, and he got his gun, and he shot the alligator. And a couple of weeks later, a little boy was interviewed in hospital. His legs were massively scarred by the attack, and on his arms were huge crevices, deep scratches, where his mum's fingernails are dug into his flesh because she wouldn't let go. And the newspaper reporter who was interviewing the little boy after the trauma, he, he said, let me look at your scars. And the boy lifted up his trousers and then he lifted up his sleeves on his jumper with pride and said, look at the amazing scars on my arms. That was because my mum wouldn't let go. Ed Young, pastor of a megachurch in New York City, was once invited to the White House to meet with a few key religious leaders and the president of the United States of America. He'd never met him before. He'd never been to the White House. And then he found out that his son had a basketball game and he'd already missed one the week before and he promised his son that he would go to the game. So he had to make the call to the White House to say, I'm really sorry, Mr. President, I can't make it this time. And he was able to watch his son play basketball and do the winning dunk. What would we have done? 
Here's another story. An old man went up to his attic one day looking for a photo album. He was looking for pictures of his dead wife and he became engrossed in his memories. Setting aside one of the dusty albums, he pulled from the box what appeared to be a journal from his grown son's childhood. He couldn't ever recall having seen it before. All that his son had even kept a journal, but clearly his wife had kept them. That's what we do, isn't it, mums? We'll keep everything. Opening the yellow pages, he glanced over a short reading and smiled. His eyes brightened as he read the words that touched him. It was the voice of the little boy who had grown up far too fast and whose voice had grown fainter over the years. And in the silence of the attic, the words of a naive six-year-old worked their magic and carried the old man back to a time almost totally forgotten. Entry after entry stirred a sentimental hunger in his heart, accompanied by the painful memory that his son's simple recollection of those days were very different from his own. But how different? Reminded that he had kept a daily journal of his business activities over the years, he closed his son's journal and turned to leave for his office. He opened a glass cabinet door and reached for his old business journal. Turning, he sat at his desk and placed the two journals next to each other. His was leather-bound and engraved with gold, and his son's was tattered and just had the name Jimmy on the front cover. And as he opened his journal, the old man's eyes fell upon an inscription that stood out because it was so brief in comparison to all the other days. Sorry, I know what's coming. <laughs> in his own neat handwriting were these words, wasted the whole day fishing with Jimmy, didn't catch a thing. With a deep sigh, he took Jimmy's journal and filed the boy's entry for the same day. Went fishing with my dad. Best day of my life. It's said that life affords no greater responsibility, no greater privilege than the raising of the next generation. Thank you, Rita. And like I said, we can all do that. We're all parents in this place. You know, Kathy and I had the privilege of taking our young people to Vineyard last Saturday night, just watching them worship the garden. I love our young people. Seriously, our kids and our young people are so worth our investment. It was an amazing night, especially that silent disco. Let's look at our partners for one minute. And I say one minute because we haven't all got them. You know, in all our years of counselling others in their marriage, the number one thing that leads to a demise in any relationship is a lack of communication. Fix that, and your marriage is fixed. Because remember, whatever we don't maintain eventually deteriorates. So here's some tidbits for a successful marriage, and none of them are rocket science. Talk to one another. That's not rocket science, right? Carve out quality time for one another. Get yourself date nights. By far, one of the biggest things about my sabbatical was just being able to spend time with Ali and do the things that normal couples do that don't run a church. Just to be able to chill and put on a Netflix series and just be together was fantastic. Did our marriage good. Learn to apologize. Doesn't mean you were wrong and the other person was right. It just means that you value your relationship more than your ego. Happily ever after isn't a fairy tale. It's a choice. So if you know your marriage isn't as it should be, carve out the time to put it right. Marriage takes a lot of effort. If a relationship has to be a secret or something about it has to be a secret, stop it. Don't do it. 
Anyway, it's been concluded that no woman ever shot her husband whilst he was washing the dishes. <laughs> and that the man who rarely finds himself in hot water is the one who's married to a wife with three daughters and only one bathroom. So there you go. Let's look at our relationship with the church. Did you know there are 59 different one another commands in the Bible? 59, that's more than one a week. So things like love one another, forgive one another, look out for one another, build one another up, care for one another. There's loads of them. I want you to go and go research it for yourself and maybe apply it in your life. And on top of that, you can't have meaning relationships, let alone get the personal nourishment you need just by rocking up at church. So I encourage you, all of you, to get involved. And let's just be sure that we're not just doers of the word, but that we're hearers of it. Sorry, be doers. Let's be sure to be doers and not just hearers. I heard the story of a guy called Jim who was diagnosed with cancer. And his company heartlessly dumped him. They couldn't afford to keep him on because they knew he wasn't going to be there anyway. And in battling the disease, he used up all his insurance money and his life savings. And a member of the church went to visit Jim and boldly asked him, Jim, have you prepared for life after death? Wow. Jim was furious. He said, all you Christians think about is what's going to happen after I die. If your God is so great, why doesn't he do something about my problem? I'm about to leave my wife and my daughter penniless. And then he ordered the man out of his house. The man went away and he thought a lot about what Jim had said. And he soon returned and apologized. said, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry that I offended you. I've been working on the problem. An estate agent I know has agreed to sell your house and give your wife the commission. Some of us will make your mortgage payments until the house is sold. The earnings from your house should pay for your daughter's college. Also, the owner of an apartment building up the street has offered to give your wife a flat for free with free utilities plus a monthly salary in exchange for her managing the complex. Jim cried like a baby because he could finally hear the gospel message with an open heart because people don't know how much you care, how much you know until they know how much you care. So I experienced this when he had cancer. People were, we were a lot of us, we wrote on a, a pillow, nice things, affirmations, Bible verses, and we got it anointed, and he had a pillowcase. People paid your mortgage for some time, didn't they? People were taking meals for Sarah because she didn't have the time to cook. That is what it means to care for people, look out for people, and love people in the church. We have the table here every other month, and in the month in between, we encourage you, invite somebody to your house, to your own table. And can I encourage you, don't just invite your friends. Don't just invite, if you're in a couple, don't just invite another couple. Why don't you invite somebody you know can never invite you back, never pay you back for what you've done? Why don't you invite a load of singles or just one person and include them in your family? That's what it is to be loved in the church. And the elderly, don't forget the elderly. Sybil would love a meal, wouldn't you, Sybil? You'd love an invite. Absolutely, she would. She's too, she's too humble to say yes. Relationships are the glue that are going to hold this place together. It's the glue that holds the church together. And friendships are the key to us retaining you guys as members. A survey was once taken and the people were asked, why did you join this church? And 93% of the members said, I joined because of the pastor. So then they were asked, well, what happens if the pastor leaves? Would you leave? And they went, oh, no, I've got friends now. That's what it's about. It doesn't matter how you come in, but build friendships. 
Now listen, some people come into our lives for a season. Some people are going to be in our lives forever. And some people come in like rockets. Rockets have boosters. And when that rocket gets up into space, the booster gets separated from the rocket because it cannot go to the altitude that the rocket is going to go to. And there will be people that come into your life that cannot go to the heights and the altitude that you're going to. And that is okay. There is nothing wrong with that person. It's God who determines the people who are going to walk this life with us. So don't have a go at the person. Accept it for what it is. The more friendships we can develop in church, the less likely we'll become inactive and leave. And don't worry about how many friends you've got. Apparently, it doesn't matter whether your church is 200, which is what we're at, 150 adults, 50 plus kids, or 2,000. The average person in a church knows 67 other people. Now, you might think, I only know two. Well, some of you might think, God, I know all 200. It doesn't matter as long as you've got friendships. I am loving this Friday morning group that Kathy set up months ago that Becky is running and there's people in there and they come with their children and they're just doing life together and encouraging one another and loving one another. It's just, it's just utterly beautiful. And finally, let's look at our relationship in the community. In Luke 10, we read the story of the Good Samaritan where an expert in the law asked Jesus, who is my neighbour? And Jesus tells the story of a Samaritan and he gets beaten up, doesn't he? He gets left for dust and two people go past. One is a priest and the other is a fellow Jew. And both of them ignore him. And then a Samaritan walks past and the Jews hated the Samaritans. They wouldn't have anything to do with them. But this Samaritan, he picks this guy up, sticks him on his donkey, takes him to some kind of hotel, tells the manager, look after him, treat his wounds, I'll give you all the money and come back in a few days. If you need more money, I'll bring you the money. And Jesus says, which of these three proved himself a neighbor to the man who had been mugged by the robbers? And the scholar replies, the one who showed mercy to him. And Jesus said, well then, go and behave like that Samaritan. How are you doing at loving your neighbors? So let's work at all our relationships. Remember, anything we don't maintain will eventually deteriorate. Quick week up then. We don't, if we don't spend time with God, we won't grow spiritually and our spiritual life will suffer which, as we are going to find out, will have a knock-on effect of every other area of our life. If we can't love ourselves, we're going to have a hard time loving others. If men don't love their wives the way that Jesus loved the church, laid down his life for it, they're going to struggle. If us wives don't submit to our husbands, and that's easy when they're loving us like Jesus loved the church, we're going to struggle. If we don't parent our kids well, we're going to pay for it. Discipline them. It's love. Discipline is love in action. If we don't love our partners, they'll go and find love elsewhere. If we don't make an effort in church, it'll feel harder to be planted and you'll probably want to leave. And if we don't love our neighbours, can we actually honestly say that we're saved? Let me finish really quickly with the Ten Commandments of Human Relations because great relationships don't just happen, they take effort. Speak to people. Nobody wants to be ignored, right? Unless you're a mega introvert. Smile at people. It takes 72 muscles to frown and only 14 to smile. It's easier to smile. You can tell your faces that if you like. It's easier to smile. <laughs> Call people by their name. Being called by your name is so sweet, isn't it? It's like, oh, somebody knows me. Now, listen, sometimes we forget or we get your names wrong. There's a lot of you. If I call you honey or darling, it's probably because I can't remember your name. No, that's not true. I do use those <laughs> terms a lot. But we never do it on purpose. And it does feel great, doesn't it, to be called by your name. 
Number four, just be nice. Be nice. Five, speak and act as if everything you're doing is genuinely a pleasure. And if it isn't, just learn to fake it. Fake it till you make it. It comes good. Number six, be genuinely interested in people. You can actually like almost anybody if you really try. You can. Seven, be generous with praise and cautious with criticism. Be an encourager and not a critic. Eight, appreciate similarities and respect differences. Nine, be servant-hearted, because what counts most in life is what we're doing for other people. And finally, find people that you can belly laugh with. Have the patience of a saint. Always put others first, and don't run off at the end of the service. Make sure you speak to somebody that you've not spoken to before. What we don't maintain eventually deteriorates. Let's work at this relationship with God, with self, with family, with church, and with our communities. Amen? Amen. Thank you.